Tom Bernard Show with Andy Brant Bernard, Mike Molina, David Crow, our very special guest, David Crow at Acme tonight, tomorrow night, eight and ten thirty. We'll be right back, Tom Bernard Show. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant. What's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt, then talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company, and they start asking you questions, or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I I appreciate that. Um, But I guess the key is is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. That works. It's been good. It's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? uh, Either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Walzer Automotive is a Minnesota family-owned business. It started in the 50s. It's grown by leaps and bounds, especially in the past few years, and they now have 23 dealerships spread across two states. The Walzer way includes upfront, no-haggle pricing on every single new and used vehicle they sell. If you change your mind, no problem. Check out Walzer's three-day return and 30-day exchange policy. I'm a customer, my family are customers, and many of my friends have bought cars from them. The Walzer way is really different, and I know you'll be pleasantly surprised. For great deals on new or used Acura, Audi, Buick, BMW, Chevrolet, Chrysler, Dodge, GMC, Honda, Hyundai, Jaguar, Jeep, Land Rover, Lexus, Mazda, Mercedes, Mini, Nissan, Porsche, Ram, Subaru, or Toyota, go to walzer.com, Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com. playing religious music today, David. Yeah. Wayne is getting all religious. He's in spirit in the sky on a good Friday. You know, all the Sicilians, sure. they get all religious. I'm sure Norman would be celebrating Passover tonight, or the start of it. Yes, Norman Greenbaum. <laughs> no question about it. I remember, honestly, God, radio stations, because that song came out in the late 60s, right? Yeah, I think so. I think it was the late 60s. Not, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. There were radio stations that wouldn't say the name of the artist. They would play the song, but they wouldn't say his name was Norman Greenbaum. <laughs> we're not letting anybody know that a Jew sings that song. We're, and he might not even be a Jew anyway. Mm-hmm. Greenbaum's not necessarily a Jewish name. But uh, I don't know. It's whatever. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? That's all I've got to say. You know, I met a uh, comedian up in Canada. I was working in Calgary a few weeks ago, and uh, he was from China. From China. He was over here doing as as a student, and he started doing comedy. He was actually pretty funny. So his English was very, he spoke English very well. And uh, and so we were chatting, and it turns out... uh, he was fascinated by this idea because there had been a bachelor party at the show, and he was fascinated by this idea of what a bachelor party was. And we said, oh, well, you know, it's <laughs> when you're going to get married, you go out and you have your one last chance of being single and you can do crazy stuff and whatever. And sometimes people go to strip clubs or whatever they go to. And he said, wow, that's so different from China. And you have to imagine all this in a really thick Chinese accent, which I'm not going to do. <laughs> he says, he says, uh, he says, in China, it's the opposite. Uh, in China, before you get married, the, the groom is taped to a pole and beaten up and humiliated by the bride's family. <laughs> and I, we thought he was okay. joking. And then we looked it up, and it's true. And, and what the lesson what? is, is if you disrespect our daughter, this is what's going to happen to you. 
So they have to show you. Yeah, yeah. So don't. And sometimes they do it to the to the groom's parents. What? Yes. <laughs> you beat up the groom's mother. The, yeah, yeah. There are pictures online of Chinese men and women taped to poles and people throwing stuff at them and be hitting them with sticks and sometimes he said sometimes people get carried away and the kind of mob mentality and people get kind of hurt not most of the time but it, it's happened and it's i don't know if it's just his region of china or uh or if it's the whole country but uh, i found that bizarre just, so this is a tradition that's go- gone on for centuries i guess so yeah yeah at least as far back as pot breaking outside your greek villa <laughs> you know i'm thinking about that because Catherine, my wife, has three brothers, mm-hmm. and the smallest of the three brothers is like six three, about two forty. Mm-hmm. So, and he's the <laughs> smallest of the three brothers. <laughs> right. So, I don't know that I'd care much for that to be taped to a pole right. <laughs> and have those three guys beating on me. It's amazing. I mean, my God. Yeah, it's surprising anybody in China gets married. Really, considering. Uh, you know, you're right. I would, st- I would, I would remain a bachelor. It's maybe why Lewis Sorry. Lee moved to America to get married. Yeah. See, there you go. <laughs> yeah, there's a possibility. Although I'd still like to tie him to a pole and beat him. Anyway. But you know, it's just me. <laughs> I love Lewis. Lewis is a, an interesting. Uh, for people who don't know, Acme Comedy Company considered one of the greatest comedy uh, comedy outlets in the United States, maybe even the world. Uh, is owned by Lewis Lee who uh, came to the United States from Hong Kong many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Lewis is, uh, Lewis is a piece of work. <laughs> oh, you'll love this, David. Actually, you'll love this. The building that you're sitting in right yeah. now, yeah. Uh, it, it, w- it went up uh, for sale uh, about a year ago. Mm. And Lewis said, Tom, I've got a great answer to our problem, because he, he does not want to move his comedy club, right, obviously. Right. It's, it's a wonderful location. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's iconic. It really is. Right. And he said, I, I've come up with a solution to the problem. We were, we're not going to have to move. It's going to be great. And if I, if I could meet you this afternoon for lunch, we'll talk about it. I said, that sounds good, Lewis. So I sit down uh, in his restaurant downstairs. Right. right. And I said, okay, Lewis, I want to hear your solution to how uh, we can lock in the building and then you won't have to move, and I wouldn't have to do whatever. He goes, yeah, I've got the answer. I said, okay, what's the answer? And Lewis says to me, you buy the building. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> he goes, it would be perfect. You buy the building, and then I'll rent from you, and then I won't have to move. <laughs> I said, that's your solution, is that I should buy the building. There's nowhere to park anywhere near that building anymore since they mm-hmm. built that new uh, that new apartment building. Is that when's that apartment building going to actually have people living in it? I think they're starting to trickle in. I know they're doing uh, open houses right and whatever. Yeah, the Borealis. Oh, okay. Yeah, because it's called the Borealis. <laughs> yeah, I did see the sign that says Borealis. Um, that used to be a parking lot. Well, you know this, David, because you've been to Anthony right before. Right. But that used to be a parking lot. And there were times over the last year or two where you would have to, I would have to basically park on the Mississippi River and then walk over <laughs> because there's nowhere to park. Right. On the other it's side, you have to walk the train tracks across the river because you can only park in St. Anthony, Maine. That's exactly it. Huh. Do we have a caller, Andy? Yep. Well, who's our caller? Our guest. Oh, the guest is on now? Yep. Oh, it's Kristen Casey. Mm-hmm. Kristen, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing extremely well. You and I know each other, but you don't know it, I don't think. Did I speak with you yesterday? Yeah, good guess. I guess I have an yeah. odd, I guess I have an odd sounding voice or something. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> you have a beautiful voice, actually, but I also was given your name on a list, so. Oh, okay. Well, so you did. Um, Kristen has a magnificent book, and I love the name of the book, and Kristen Casey and I talked about this already, that when you, when you first hear the name of the book, it's like you think, oh, God, why is she attacking Joe Walsh? But that's not the route I took. I, I actually asked her why you named your book uh, Rock Monster, 
my life with Joe Walsh, right? I love right. If you would yes. explain to our listeners here, and David Crow, very, very funny man, is with us. He's appearing in town at Acme Comedy Club tonight. And David is a very smart guy, and he will like this as well. But why did you call, why you called your book Rock Monster is fantastic. Okay, I'm so glad you asked this. Um, so Monster, I don't mean that in the way that you initially would think, which is like, you know, big, bad, dangerous thing. Um, Monster was actually our pet name for each other. So Joe and I would call each other monster, and we could use the word as an adjective or a noun or a verb. And it, what it meant was we were, we'd gone completely overboard with, you know, drugs and alcohol and partying. So, like, if he dumped out a bunch of drugs and meant for me to do half of them and I did a little more than half, or if we stayed up for two or three days in a row, he might look at me and just say, God, you monster. And it was like an <laughs> affectionate thing, but also sort of a... Uh, you know, uh, acknowledgement of our um, outrageousness. And, um, you know, we'd use it as an adjective like or a verb, like we're monstering. Um, you know, if we were explaining to a friend why we couldn't come over or go to dinner, like, sorry, we're monstering. Um, and so Joe's a rock star. So he was the rock monster in that way. And um, because I became addicted to crack eventually, I, you know, crack comes in rocks and so in a way i was my own rock monster so it's really a play on words don't you love that David? that's brilliant she's a rock monster that's, isn't it brilliant yeah i love that it's a great title i'm so i'm so glad you like it because i honestly didn't think until after the book was printed that maybe people would take it the wrong way and of course it was too late and then everyone i asked said no that's not what i was thinking so i was just like Phew, okay no, it's. I love the fact that you're a rock monster because of crack rocks, and Joe Walsh yeah. is a rock monster <laughs> yeah. because he's a rock star. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He yeah he went the you know he had the better route to be honest. Well, not that he behaved completely though. Let's be honest. I'm sorry. What I said, not that he behaved completely either. Let's be honest. You know. Uh yeah. Well, no. I mean, that's the nature of addiction, right? Um, we were. You got to take the good with the bad. You can't be. Um, uh, you can't do that many drugs and not have it turn on you. You know, it just messes with your brain. And so, yeah, we were, um, we could be really vicious. We could be, we were very much in love and we could really treat each other with incredible viciousness. Um, and things even got violent. You know, there were things, things got broken, things, um, but, but not very often. Um, and that's just, uh, it's an aspect of addiction and substance abuse that, you know, is inescapable. Kristen, I have to ask you, who, who wrote the bio for, for your book, uh, the, the, your publicist, a note from the publicist? Do you know the publicist who wrote uh, the note? Um, the bio that I normally see like that was on the book and, and, and is on Amazon and that kind of thing, it was sort of a collaborative effort. Um, I jotted some stuff down and sent it to my publicist, and then the marketing team, I think, tweaked it a little bit. Well, they did a wonderful job because there's another line in it. Uh, it just says, note from publicist, um, in the tradition of women in rock, survivor tales, Marianne Faithful, Crystal Zavon, and Mackenzie Phillips. That's, uh, that w whoever did that did a great job because I love Mackenzie Phillips. She's one of the strongest people I've ever talked to in my entire life. What that young woman endured was amazing. Uh, so yeah. just, just to see her name in there is, uh, and Crystal Zavon, I knew Warren a little bit, not, not to, not that we were close friends or anything. Um, I don't, Kristen, I don't think I, I mentioned to you, but I, I, I've been in radio for 48 years, except for a five year period in which I was, uh, the regional promotion director for Capitol Records. So my whole life I've been around rock stars. That's, you know, oh. so I yeah. spent a lot of time around That's people. Like Warren Zavon falling off the stage and breaking his leg. You know, that was interesting. That, uh, <laughs> that was an interesting night. One of my favorite stories about it. I would say. On the show. Yeah, I didn't realize uh, that yeah. you had been in the scene, you know, that long. So you have more stories than I do. Oh, I don't, I don't have as good a story as you do. 
Your stories are better than my stories. I can I can guarantee you that. Uh, Kristen Casey with us. She's a writer, recovered alcoholic and addict. Her memoir, Rock Monster, My Life with Joe Walsh, documents their tumultuous six-year relationship and drug-fueled train wreck breakup. <laughs> train wreck breakup. Now, Kristen, we didn't talk much about your train wreck breakup yesterday, so we could do that. I, I'm really glad you were booked on this afternoon show as well. That's wonderful that, that you... Uh, you came back to do because there were a number of things after we were talking yesterday i thought god there were all these things i wanted to ask her about we didn't have time oh i'm delighted to get to come back twice you know it's an honor and feel free to ask away there's you know there were a lot of stories i didn't even put in the book just because i ran out of room i'm gonna eventually put them on my blog but um yeah the train wreck you know initially that line was um slow motion train wreck breakup because that's kind of what it felt like from the inside or just like like watching it from the inside it was a very slow motion train wreck and i was in denial about the fact that joe had just in his heart moved on and he god love him he just didn't have the heart to say you know to make it official so we just sort of petered along in this pathetic um disconnected way you know, what happened was we had five years together, and um, the the fifth year we were engaged. And then, you know, at that point we were fighting so much it was it was literally getting <laughs> dangerous at our house. And um, I, I was completely out of my mind on crack. And um, and uh, one day the fights got so bad I just up and left, and I moved to Vegas. And and uh, pretty quickly realized I was still in love with him, and and I wanted him back. And so I started a campaign to get him back, and it didn't take too long, but um, mostly I think I kind of talked him into it one night in February of 94 during a weak moment at the end of what I think was probably a three-day binge for him. And, uh, you know, I I was very happy to be officially boyfriend and girlfriend again, and then that night the Eagles camp started calling, and they had this sort of over-the-phone intervention, and they talked him into rehab that same night. So he and I reunited, and then the band reunited, and he went to rehab. And so I quit drugs because he quit drugs, but I continued drinking, and he didn't. And so I would go see him on weekends when he was in rehab and um, trying to keep my drinking under control. But, you know, you can only, as an alcoholic, do that for so long. And so as the tour began and he starts stepping back into this phenomenal success and really, you know, expressing his best sober self and his back in his music and back with you know his brothers and in the band and and i was just spiraling which is the nature of addiction and so for the next year really what we did all through 94 and some of 95 was just um uh uh, go our separate ways sort of you know and and eventually he finally just um uh said you know it's over and of course I saw it coming, but I was in denial, and I was devastated, and so I just decided, well, I'll drink myself to death, because no. I just, I didn't exist anymore without yeah. him. I had, my whole identity was wrapped up in him, and so the next two years of my life was another slow-motion sort of spiral where I was just trying to drink myself to death. Kristen and David, do you mind if, uh, do you both mind if I take a very, very quick break and come right back? Do you have time? Not at all. Not yeah. at all. Yes. Excellent. We'll be right back, Tom Bernardo. Did you know that 60% of people over the age of 60 are starting to experience cloudy, blurry, or dim vision due to cataracts? Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Eye Care. Whiting Clinic is best known for their fabulous LASIK results. You've heard me rave about them for years. But did you know they're also experts in cataract surgery? Yes, indeed. And I'm here to tell you about my wonderful experience having cataract surgery at Whiting Clinic. I'm at that age when my vision started to fade, so called up the folks at Whiting Clinic, and they helped me out right away. My cataract surgery was super easy, and thanks to the Whiting Clinic, my vision is top-notch once again. Whiting Clinic has the most advanced lens technology options, so I can see far away and up close without wearing any glasses. If you want to learn more about your options for cataract surgery and clearer vision, attend one of Whiting Clinic's cataract seminars. Call Whiting Clinic at 855-554-2020 to reserve today. Space is limited, so don't delay. That's 855-555-2020 to learn more about your cataract surgery options at Whiting Clinic. Hi, this is Tom. If you spend any time at the lake, you can relate to the pure joy of hanging out on the dock. You, family, friends, and the calm of the water. If this sounds like heaven, you're going to want to flow dock. 
Flow docks are rock solid with double bracing to eliminate side-to-side sway. And get this, you can install, level, and remove your flow dock without even getting into the water. You see, Flow's passion to invent a better way to make life easier comes through in every product they make, right down to Flow boat lifts that are quieter, faster, and effortless to install and use. Are you starting to see a pattern here? Flow is about making things easy, meaning you have more time to enjoy being at the lake. Isn't that why you go there in the first place? See for yourself why they say they've been perfecting leisure time since 1983. See them at F-L-O-E-I-N-T-L dot com. Flow docks and lifts. A better way. Back, ladies and gentlemen, David Crow in studio. He is at Acme tonight and tomorrow night, eight and ten thirty. And David, by the way, if you have any questions, please feel free. Oh, thank you. Jump in because Kristen uh, does a hell of an interview. Kristen Casey with us. Her book, Rock Monster: My Life with Joe Walsh. Uh, I had a great time talking to Kristen yesterday, and you just don't have enough time because these interviews are only about ten to fifteen minutes long. Uh, I, I just. Do you mind if I bring up one thing that the publicist also said, Kristen, that I find fascinating? Are there still interviewers out there that are such a pain in the ass that you just sometimes don't feel like doing interviews? Do some people get really rude about these things? Oh, she, uh... She dropped, but she's calling back. Oh, she did drop. <laughs> now oh, she's okay. back. There. Kristen, you're back. Thank God. Yes, I am. Okay, excellent. I just I just wanted to ask you one thing about. Uh, I actually asked you a question, but I didn't know you weren't there. <laughs> so, oh. I thought, oh my God, she's ignoring me. Well, lay it on me. Well, here's the deal. I I, I just uh, you know when you get notes, I've been interviewing people like I said for 48 years, except for the five years I was with Capital, and um, so you get notes from publishers and you get uh, you know author bios and all the rest of it. Are there still people that do interviews and all they intend to do while interviewing you is attack you and try to make you look foolish and say terrible things? Does that still happen? Well, you know, I, I'm, maybe I just got lucky so far, but that hasn't happened to me exactly. Um, no, I, I think do. everyone who's interviewed me has been, has been, you know, really nice, coming from a place of just, you know, humor and interest and curiosity, and a lot of, a lot of them want to know about, you know, the story of... Um, of addiction and recovery, which is like the main sure. uh, the center of my book, but um, there there was a tabloid that um, that got a hold of my book and then just sort of plucked every line that had anything to do with like sex or uh, or anything yeah. outrageous, you know. When, and yeah. there's some of that in there, but take it out of context, boy, did it read badly. Um, and it really misrepresented my book, and it was kind of hard to take. But it's a tabloid, and they say you sure. just got to deal with it. So. Uh, there was just that. But well, the interviewers have been great. Good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that because I was going to volunteer my service. If anybody's being a jerk to you, I'll, just, I'll take care of it. <laughs> but anyway, oh, I think I mentioned to you yesterday. That's yes- so sweet. Like chivalry is in debt. I love it. Oh, there you go. Uh, I think I mentioned to you yesterday that yesterday was my five-year anniversary. I, I stopped drinking. I was never a big drug guy, but I sure did like to drink. But the pro- and, and the problem with me was that... Um, that when I drank, it depends. Usually I had a great time and I laughed and joked and my God, we laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. But alcohol also, when I got to a certain point, you know that euphoria turns into dysphoria. Uh, there were times when absolute rage came out of me when I was drinking alcohol. And it's just amazing to me that I didn't kill someone. I, I mean, I'm serious, Kristen. It was, it was. I got that ang. I have a lot of anger in me still, but I, you know, I try to control it now as best I possibly can. It still surfaces, but not to that point. But literally five years ago, yesterday, I stopped drinking. There's a place called Taboo, which is in Palm Beach, Florida. It's a really. It's been there forever. This restaurant, and I got in an argument with a friend of mine, and the guy at the next table said, "Why don't you calm down?" And I said, I picked up a huge steak knife and said, why don't you shut the hell up or I'll stab you right in the effing heart. And that was the indication to me that I should stop drinking, Kristen. (laughs) Uh, 
<laughs> what would you have done if he'd have cursed at you? I would have stabbed him. I absolutely would have, I probably would have killed him. I, I, oh, Christy, I mean. That's what you do when someone says, calm down. Well, yeah, I would say. There's some anger there. But the, uh, um, but because the I feel you. I mean, it's, yeah. that's the thing to me about drinking is uh, that was how I managed my emotions. I was not really taught how to cope with my feelings or even identify them as a kid, you know? I mean, I didn't really have those coping skills. And so anger was not acceptable, you know, not in my house, not at school, not as a a woman or a little girl. So I was taught to stuff it. And when you stuff anger, it becomes resentment and depression. And and then when you get sober, like I was 29, I had 29 years of anger. And it it kept coming out in waves, you know? And I I was learning all these skills on how to handle my anger. And I, every six months, I'd feel like, oh, okay, God, so glad I got all that out. You know, now I'm done. Now I'm normal. Now I can, you know, just go along like everyone else. And then I'd get triggered six months later, and here comes another six months of, uh, of rage. That's, you know, gets, it's like the, a never-ending onion. Um, right. But it does, I think, I hear that it does end eventually. But I, know, I, <laughs> but I feel you. I, you know, I, I do. I think there's a lot of anger in, in, in alcoholics. Oh, yeah, I, I don't think there's any question about that. I, And it's funny because now I do sometimes find myself depressed, and I don't know why. And I think the reason I get depressed is I'm stuffing my anger. And I, so you just basically helped me out there by bringing that up. Uh, when I do feel depressed, I can go, well, it's just that I'm really pissed off about something and I'm stuffing it, so I should go and punch a wall or something. I'd feel much better. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you help. Well, you got it half right. Let's let's back up. Um, oh, okay. Maybe not okay. punch a wall. Maybe um maybe a punching bag. I do. I I personally do believe that it's that you can work some of that stuff out physically. Like I, yeah. when I got sober, I started running, which was fantastic, and I was running like forty miles a week. I mean, it was kind of overdoing it, but I took up boxing, and that was I found that to be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so you do punch uh, things. Punching walls, yeah, maybe not recommended. Yeah, but you do punch things, awesome. which I admire, by the way. What's that? I the, you, you, uh, the boxing? I was a terrible boxer, but it felt good. <laughs> <laughs> David, what do you think of this really, conversation? I was not well, good. I, I was told my left hook was decent, but I mean, I, I could probably not punch my way out of a wet paper bag. I just, I mean, I was, but it felt good. <laughs> I, uh, I watched that Gary Shandling HBO special that Judd Apatow oh, just released the other night, and yeah, uh, Gary Shandling took up boxing to get over some of his emotional struggles. So apparently, it's a common exercise, and also oh, it also yeah. teaches you. Well, you know, I saw you... half of that last night, and then I fell asleep. I just love that guy. I love that show. I yeah, love Larry yeah. Sanders, and the first half of that episode was fantastic. Yeah, it's funny how so boxing can be therapy if you don't do it as a career. If you do it as a career, it can actually reverse yeah. brain damage. <laughs> That's true. So exactly. Everything in exactly. small amounts. Exactly, it has the opposite effect. Right. You know, doing it as a career. David, that's a that's a very good point. Actually, it's true. If you if you do it as recreation, it's fine, but mm-hmm. don't do it professionally because you'll do serious brain damage, and then you got real problems. Yeah. I um. Yeah, do do people, and I'm asking everybody this uh, on the show, people now are using politics to hate one another. It's not just, I'm I'm on the left and you're on the right and I hate you and I hate you because you're on the left and I hate you because you're... So all of that anger is still there. People are still very pissed off, but no one wants to discuss anything. Our first reaction now is, oh, I hate you for the way you think. Well... That's that's a little disturbing. Do you find that to be true, Kristen? Oh, I do. I think that there's a lot of repressed anger and resentment and shame. You know, I think that um, uh, one of the first go-to tactics when somebody is feeling their anger or resentment triggered is to try to shame the other guy. And that's only yep. going to trigger their resentment. You know what I mean? That's not productive at all. Shame is a real problem. You know, shame is something else that... Um, uh, it's used uh, by religion to keep people in in line. It's used yeah. um, it's used to control populations. Let's shame women over their sexuality. That's a thread in my book, you know. And it, and all you do is start to repress 
self-expression and authenticity and um, you know passion is a flip side of anger you know if you can't if you're not allowed to express your anger um, then you're not going to be able to express your passion and if you're told not to, if you're not allowed to express your passion you're going to end up not knowing how to express your anger in healthy ways and so what happens is we all just end up feeling ashamed um, and angry and, and resentful and, and depressed and then as soon as we're triggered we try to make the other guy feel that way yeah. and it's just this horrible cycle nothing gets done nothing is improved or accomplished or worked out uh, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a very dysfunctional existence <clears throat> I would say I agree with that completely. David, what do you think of that? Well, you know, they, uh, I'm shooting this comedy special at Acme this weekend, and we've been running the set all mm-hmm. week, and I have, the special is really about me coming of age and discovering my boundaries, and uh, which when you discover a boundary, it's usually because you overstepped it and went, hey, this isn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, which is where the comedy usually lies. But I had one, what I thought was really funny among some people I know, and, and rather uh, clever and surprising uh, Trump esque joke in the middle of the, near the end of the show. And I did it last night, and you know what? It ruined the show. Because really? suddenly, oh. su- and it, I never recovered from that point, because suddenly everybody was connecting with me over the show throughout the course of the 50 minutes. And then with that joke, half the room felt like it wasn't part of my tribe anymore or that it couldn't mm. agree with me. And it ruined everything. And I think we have to be, I mean, obviously I'm going to take the joke out of the show. It has no place in there anyway. But it's, I think we run into those situations just out on the street where as soon as politics come up it's a it's a label and we're it's tribal and and that's not how people are really meant to be with each other we're meant to get along and cooperate and stuff and we're stamped with these labels and i think psychologically we have issue we have trouble getting over those once they they're uh they're placed so that's why politics drives this hate these days because it's not about finding solutions it's about labeling a tribe and that's a, that's a yeah. uh, that's a great point. I'm, I, can I, may I hear the joke if you're not going to have it again? Okay, yeah. Oh, here's the joke. I oh, said, Kristen, we get to hear the joke. Nobody's ever going to hear this joke again. Right. The, the story is All right. the story is about when I was asked to go up to the suite of the Prince of the United Arab Emirates, and okay. this is back in the '90s, and I had never met a prince before, but. Uh, the uh, you know my only princes that I thought of were Disney princes where they're all regal and dashing. Right. So so I go up to the suite and here's this guy and he's sitting up on this bed. All the furniture is cleared from the room and everybody's sitting on the floor. And uh, and I go in there and I uh, I sit down and uh, and I was just kind of shocked at the guy because he. He was he looked like he had never lifted a finger to do anything in his life. He was this kind of amorphic blob just in dire need of a pedicure, right? So there's this I thought, wow, this talon toad poo emoji is a as a prince. But then when you think about it, that's what happens when you when you take yeah. an inbred trust fund landed baby and surround it by fawning lackeys and and yes man its whole life what you get is this kind of preening, corpulent toad eventually, you know. At least the people of the UAE had the common sense to make him a prince. They didn't elect him president. So that was my... (laughs) But come on, it's a good joke. It doesn't matter if you're a Trump supporter or not. Right, right. That's a good joke. It's a princes and billionaires do they deserve our sympathy kind of joke. uh, Yeah, I can swear. Yeah. A certain segment of society wouldn't like it, but that's kind of why I do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but... See, I don't support any. I mean, I, I don't support let's any. Call it toe to toad. Yeah, and I don't support any political party at all. But but first of all, I I've never see. I, uh, Kristen David already knows this, I think. But I have, and you probably already know it too, because we've talked a couple of times. I have a huge problem with authority. I'm, I do not like authority, and therefore, if you're if you're the president of the United States, I automatically don't like you. <laughs> That's just how it is. Right. I, it's, I, know, I know it's weird, but it's true. And if they're if you're a uh, prince, even worse, uh, right? So there's so we got the, the 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 left tribe and the right tribe, and then yes. you, like yes. on a whole other level. That I hate everyone. Of, of antagonism. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. Next 
level anger. You know, these are the kinds of conversations that everyone should be having. They're wonderful con- conversations. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, people are, are, are having a good laugh. We're learning things about one another. You, you know, Kristen, you wrote your book to help people, and I hope people understand. It's not just about, oh, look at this glamorous life that I have or I had, and look at these famous people I know. It's all about how you're trying to help people, which I really, really love. I think that's wonderful. Uh, brilliant title. I'm so glad you came on this show as well because we got to talk for for a lot longer on the show. And are you are you going to go on a uh, on a book signing tour? You know, I'm probably going to put that together um, at some point a little bit later this year. I had my first reading here in Austin at Book People, um, which was kind of a dream of mine. It's Texas's biggest independent bookstore, and and uh, in my in my fantasy world, that was uh, doing my book reading there was just sort of the first marker that I'd made it as an author. Um, and so I'm going to be doing some more probably on the West Coast. I just haven't put it together yet. i got to kind of stay home and earn a living for a little bit first. All right. And, um, we'll come to the yeah. Midwest. But I'm, I'm looking forward to hitting the West Coast, and then I'll probably, if that goes well, then I'll, then I'll head east. All right. Well, just call back all the time anyway. It doesn't mean that we... Oh, okay. We, we yeah, I'll, call, I'll start calling in, see, see how those boxing lessons are going. I think it's <laughs> phenomenal. Oh, you don't want to give me boxing lessons. That's a bad idea. That's a bad plan. Kristen, thank you so much. I love uh, the way you look at life. Rock monster. My Life with Joe Walsh. Kristen Casey, thank you so much for your time. Wonderful talking to you again. Oh, thank you, Tom. Great to be back. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks a lot. David, we have one more segment left, but if you got to go, I understand. You know what? I'll stick around. What the heck? It's just we comedy. Have, we have 15. <laughs> You're the best. I, I love the fact that you were here when because I didn't know Kristen was calling in today. I She know, is just fantastic. Yeah, and I, I've always been a fan of Joe Walsh. He's, uh, uh, yeah. he's always, yep. as, as for of the rock gods, he's always maintained that kind of Muppet lovability, and I think that is wonderful. <laughs> exactly. We'll be right back, Tom Bernard Show. It's Tom telling you how easy it's been for me to lose weight on the Nutramost Weight Loss Plan. I've started up another round at the new Nutramost Plymouth location, and those unwanted pounds are going fast. I've lost over 34 pounds. Nutramost is so easy, and they guarantee that you'll lose 20 pounds or more in just 40 days. There's no exercise, shots, drugs, prepackaged food, and I'm never hungry. Nutramost has helped me change my life, and I know they can help you, too. Nutramost of Plymouth is hosting a second free informational dinner. Learn how to have success losing weight just like me. Neil Sheehy, Nutramost client and owner who played nine years in the NHL and is an agent to some of the NHL's current top players will be at the dinner, and so will I, actually. It's Monday, April 30th, 6 p.m. at Jake City Grill in Plymouth, located around the corner from Nutramost, just off Highway 55 and 494. Space is limited. Call 763-333-7337 to register. That's 763-333-7337. I'm here with my real estate agent, Chris Lindahl. And after seeing what he did for me, I asked if he had something that would help our listeners. Chris, what do you got? We have something very special for KQ listeners. April 16th through the 18th, the Chris Lindahl team is hosting our SellerWorkshop.com series, where we're going to teach you how to net between thirty dollars to $60,000 more on your home sale. And the best part is it's absolutely free. So that sounds great, Chris, but what's the catch? Tom, here's what I'll share with you. The number one core value at the Chris Lindahl team is to be generous. I have a teaching degree, and this is my passion to educate homeowners in the Twin Cities on how to sell your house the right way so you don't end up leaving tens of thousands of dollars on the table going through the traditional real estate process. So go to SellerWorkshop.com for times and locations and to sign up for your free ticket. The Seller Workshops are happening April 16th through the 18th. Seating is limited, and trust me, they sell out fast. Visit SellerWorkshop.com or call 763-401-SOLD. If you haven't already, make sure to check out the best of the Tom Bernard Show, brought to you by Brad Sean Bryant, or as he's known, the backup to my hard drive, every Saturday at noon for highlights from the past week and classic moments from our vault. Oh, I'm gonna listen to my 45s. Ain't it wonderful to be alive when the rock and roll play? Keep always more faith music. What do you think of that? More faith music all the way. That works for me. 
<laughs> David Cross in studio with us. Well, it is Good Friday, it, you know, yeah. a bunch of Catholics sitting around talking. Uh, so it does work for me. It took me a but, while. But, uh, David, I'm, yeah. yeah, I understand. I'm really glad you were here for that conversation because she's, uh, she's special. I really like her. She's, you know, because when you see the first rock monster mm-hmm. in my life with Joe Walsh, you assume, oh, God, Joe Walsh is a horrible human being, and he threw me in the street, and therefore I hate his guts. That's not what it's about at all. She's a rock monster because she was addicted to crack. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Fantastic. And was that sort Fantastic. of the word on the street or that was the public image of uh, their relationship is that he threw her out and because of his success at the Eagles or something like that? But that wasn't the case at all? Yes. Okay. See, I, I have no idea what that was all about. But I just she's, she's a very – you know how they met, which is just – it's fascinating to me. Uh, rock stars are rock stars, right? And they mm-hmm. do what they do. And uh, I might have been the drummer in the band. Uh, Joe Walsh's band said, "Hey, I, I have a. I got to go pick up my girlfriend, and she works over at the, you know, the titty bar." Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Joe Joe goes over there with him just to pick her up, and he meets Kristen because she's working there too. <laughs> <laughs> Like, oh, my God, you're so predictable. I mean, people are, are extremely predictable, aren't they? Yeah. Yes. But Kristen does not sound like a like a moron at all. She's uh, she's pretty impressive. It's funny because about one minute before the end of the conversation, my wife came running in because apparently they called and said, she's got to go. She's been on for like a half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we... We had a lot to talk about. There's no question about that. Are you, have you written a book, or are you ever going to write a book? Me? Uh, I I have not written. Well, okay, I've written a couple of children's books, but uh, that, that's about oh. it. I've not written a book. I've, I'm, I've got a couple of projects. Or that uh, There was this one that I'm recording this week, and then I've, uh, I've, I've got a, a, a one-man play that I'm working on about Charles Darwin. So that's uh, really? that's right up my alley. Play? Yeah, where I play Charles Darwin. It's called Darwin on Darwin. He's talking about himself and reading from his journals. A lot a lot of people don't know much about Darwin's life. They think he they always think he was permanently old and permanently opposed the church and all these kind of things, which are in fabrications. He he actually went around the world at the age of 25 and and was at sea for five years and the journey on the beagle he almost died every week (laughs) from various things and and he's a true indiana jones character but he was also a little teacup brit right over educated precise language and and uh, and uh, and he's just sort of a fascinating character, and he didn't go on this voyage to to discover or to research the theory of natural selection. He just kind of stumbled upon it, and then it took him twenty years before he wrote his treatise on it. So, I just find him to be a funny person, and the I want to make a show about him that is educational, but also really funny because he's a classic funny little Brit who's who's uh, in the kind of a fish out of water in most of the places he went. So that's one well, thing. So, yeah, well, that's one thing. Um, why do people think so? They, they thought because he wanted to find out beings' origins that that was somehow anti religious. Yeah, and you know, he was actually a, he went to a seminary school or whatever it is, the Anglican version of that. Uh, and he was going to be a, right. a minister, and then, uh, and then he ended up uh, going the science route. and and uh, he was really into collecting beetles and barnacles and things like that. You know, he's a true nerd. And, uh, and he got the opportunity to go s- see the world. So he took it. And while he was doing that, and he was a geologist as well. So the reason he came up with these theories of uh, natural selection is he looked at the world as, as having long, slow processes which, from his geology training. And when he was mm-hmm. walking around Patagonia, he kept seeing layers of sediments and various fossils and bones laid within the various layers, thinking how long it would take for the, this all to transpire, talking millions of years. So these kind of things. And then suddenly he thought, well, maybe this, this is how animals change too. And, uh, and that seemed to really oppose a lot of people's dogmas when it came to the church, which is God made everything as it is right now and things don't change. Um, he but, also really liked eating tortoises. 
Yeah, because <laughs> the tortoises. That's what was there. <laughs> yeah, there There's was this one species of tortoise that they uh, were bringing back to England for study, but none of the tortoises made it back because they ate them all. Yeah, well, one made it back. Whoops. Oh, did they get one back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So I have a question for you. They were just that tasty. Didn't people look at architecture through the ages? You know, these people that believed that God made us all the way we were, the animals and the people, mm-hmm. this is the way they are, and they've always been this way. Catherine and I were on, we were on vacation last week, so Catherine and I went to Key West. I'd never been there before, and we ended up loving it because it's a, a fascinating history, a very sad history where several young African slaves died and were buried mm-hmm. in this mass grave, and it was a Union stronghold during the Civil War. I never knew that. I learned all these things. But here, there's something very obvious here. We went to the Hemingway house. Mm-hmm. Right, Ernest Hemingway. Uh, you know, I've never read a Hemingway book, nor had I ever seen a Hemingway movie until we watched Old Man in the Sea right. after we got back from Key West. He just seemed like too much of a, uh, too much of a, I have to prove to you what a man I am kind of guy. Right, right. Which kind of was off-putting for me. I, I don't like men who have to prove to you that they're men. Right. <laughs> I get along with women a lot better than I get along. David, I was raised by my mother and my sisters. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I get along with women a lot better than I get along with men mm-hmm. in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so guys who have to go out of their way to show you how tough they are or look what I'm, look at this fish I caught and look at this right, right. you know I got nothing against fishing or hunting or anything that's their business and if people do it but look at I ran with the bulls and I caught this swordfish and I killed a bear with my bare hands and he just didn't seem like my kind of guy right he was a very bright guy but I went to his house we went to his house in Key West. And if you walk in that house, you would know immediately, my God, people have changed in the last 80 years. <laughs> well, actually, I suppose about the last 130 years. Right. Because the house was originally built, what was the guy, his name Tift, I think, was the man mm-hmm. who built the house in the 1880s or 1870s or something. Mm-hmm. Um, the stairs to go up to the second floor, you could get about maybe two-thirds of your foot on the stair was that shallow. Right, right. Maybe you could get... And I wore size 12 shoes, pretty, pretty... You know, right. my, my foot is a foot, right? Right. Now, on most most places these days, I can get my entire foot on a stair. Right. I could get about two-thirds of it on that stair. And in order to use the handrail, I had to lean over to use it. Right. Now, that would indicate to me that people were a lot smaller 130, mm-hmm. 140 years ago than they are now. Didn't people notice that from architecture over the years? Uh, uh, people get, are getting bigger and bigger and bigger as time goes by. Yeah. So if God made everybody the way they are, what is God just right. changing up now? Is that what we're doing? Well, the height thing is actually just because of malnutrition, so... Yeah, well, so there you go. But there, there's a, so why didn't God take care of nutrition then? <laughs> if, if if it was all God, look, and I'm not I'm not religious, and I'm not anti-religion. I'm neither. I, I it is what it is. As long as you don't use it to uh, uh, you know overlord people, or or you can't do this because God would hate you for it. As long as they don't use their religion to control you or to harm you in some way, I don't care how religious you are. Or how irreligious you are. I don't care about that. But you would think, yes, it, it, the height thing is because of uh, nutrition. Well, if if God did put all the animals and people on earth, and that's just what happened, and that's just the way it is, well, why would you starve people out? Why did you make it so hard for people to get food? You can't stop me from, from people from making bad decisions. Well, why can't? You're God. You can, you can stop people from making oh. bad decisions. Well, then what's the point? And, and now with genetics, uh, you know, we, we're starting to understand actually how easy it is for a species to be, a new species to be created. Because there, you read about this guy uh, who was in the space station for a year or what have you. He came back mm-hmm. and they tested his DNA and his DNA had changed because of being Ooh. in outer space with all the radiation zooming around. Yeah, they, his DNA is now different from the, when he left Earth to go up there. Yeah, that's just, I think that's fascinating. Isn't that, and so, a, so a, uh, a photon or a neutrino can strike your DNA and then, bing, you have new DNA. 
that's, I guess people, I guess, I guess that's uh, uh, what the whole theory behind cancer treatment is, though, is, you, is uh, guess, radiation can alter growth, the DNA of something. But yeah, it's, uh, it was interesting. Wouldn't, is it recent where we, we hoped and wished that every generation would get better and we'd all improve? <laughs> I, I mean, is that something new? Is that only since World War II that we've thought that? Yeah, I think, yeah, I don't I think for the most of human history, people were just glad to make it for uh, into adulthood. <laughs> Isn't that amazing yeah. that you go along all those hundreds of thousands of years as a being and then in a short span of about 150 years Mm -hmm. you made all these things happen these great accomplishments why did it take so damn long i think it was electricity i think the idea that you could have a turbine spinning somewhere in a river somewhere hundreds of miles away and then take that spinning action and and bring it to someone's house so that they could flip a switch <laughs> and run a mixer yeah. is I mean, that, that is amazing that we can use the energy from a distant source through a flip of a switch and suddenly it's doing stuff that we used to have to do by hand it's unbelievable it is wonderful <laughs> why did it take so damn long know. to discover i don't know All of a sudden, and and why were we so lucky to have been born in this era? I mean, life would have sucked 300 years ago. It would have been terrible. (laughs) Yeah. Right? I mean, honestly, well, again, who would Joe Joe Walsh date? There were no titty bars. Oh, there probably were titty bars back then. There probably were, so never mind. Never mind that. I think people stayed inside and did nothing a lot of the time, just waiting for winter to pass. Right. We, we tend to yeah. think, oh, people must have been cold back then. Well, no, they didn't go outside. They just sat <laughs> in a Mandan hut and waited for June. Well, yeah, it's like, what do, <laughs> what do lizards and birds do during, during right. the winter? Yeah. Right. They just hide in a hole because otherwise they'll just freeze to death. And then there's I the other to numb your there's the other uh, approach where you look at these guys, the original explorers of Antarctica, and what they endured, and you think, well, maybe hypothermia is a modern problem. Maybe maybe it didn't exist 200 years ago. Maybe. Yeah, you may be right about that. <laughs> I mean, there's every possibility, right? Yeah. Just, uh, sorry, this just didn't happen. That's just the way it is. God, I'm so glad that you came in because honestly, we were when we didn't know you were sitting out in the in the right. green room waiting to come on. We're like, oh damn! I thought David was going to come in today. I really wanted to talk to him today because I am a big fan. I, I think oh, you thank know you. That. But thank I am. You, there's no well. You have very intelligent humor. And by the way, if you had told that joke last night, and I was in the audience. It wouldn't matter if I I would have been ultra liberal or ultra conservative. Right. I wouldn't be offended by that. It's a it's this is a comedy club you dumb bastard. Yeah, it's uh it's uh unfortunately uh it's just kind of the the landscape these days and uh and if you're going to do an all political show, I think people roll with it, but it was weird to put it into a show where yeah. there was nothing political and then plop and it just it really was the turd in the punch bowl. So, good to know. I'm glad I knew it learned that Thursday night, <laughs> not Friday and Saturday. <laughs> well, that's true. That's a good point. I don't know. I I just would not have had a problem with that yeah. at all. It it just it's a, it's funny. Look, I, I I really miss the Don Rickles of the world. So right. It's horrendous now to think about that. It's not to me. It's not because he didn't mean any of it. Right. Uh, it was funny. I'm sorry. It just it was funny when when Johnny Carson came out one night and said. Uh, Ronald Reagan, President Reagan, is a very unusual man. He's the only person I know whose hair has turned prematurely orange. I'm sorry, that's funny. I don't care if you're a Republican. <laughs> it's funny. Calm down, everyone. David Crow tonight, tonight, tomorrow night, 8 and 10.30 at Acme Comedy Club. Always a great pleasure, sir. I, I, I love spending all this time with you. Thank, well, thank you. you, Tom. Thank you very much. We'll talk to everybody next week. Tom Bernard Show. 